I don't, I'm not really sure when she's coming back. <laughs> We're going to bring tongues. She won't be here this coming Sunday, but the next one she will be. So we should all, we should have a bunch of tongs lined up up front of the church and see what she says. What's all the tongs with little stuffed mice? Then she might figure it out then. <laughs> oh, let's praise the Lord.
Let it be said of us While we walked among the living Let it be said of us By the ones we leave behind Let it be said of us And we live to be a blessing for life Let it be said of us That we gave to reach the dying Let it be said of us By the fruit we leave behind Let it be said of us That our legacy is a blessing for life This day, you said life, you said death right before us. This day, every blessing and curse is a choice now. We will choose to be a blessing for life. Let it be said of us That our hearts belong to Jesus Let it be said of us That we spoke the words of life Let it be said of us That our heritage is blessing for life This day You said life You said death Right before us This day Every blessing and curse Is a choice now We will Choose to be a blessing for life This day, you said life, you said death right before us. This day, every blessing and curse is a choice now. And we will choose to be a blessing for life. your kingdom for our children for the sake of every nation for your kingdom for our children for the sake of every nation we will Choose to be a blessing for life Cause we will choose to be a blessing for life We will choose to be a blessing for life
To the cross I look To the cross I cling Love its suffering I do dream Love its work and I do sing Only my Savior Both bruised and crushed So that God is love And God is just At the cross you beckon me Draw me gently to my knees And I am lost for words So lost in love I'm sweetly broken Holy surrender What a priceless gift Undeserved life Have I been given Through Christ crucified You called me out of death You called me into life I was under your wrath Through the cross I'm reconciled At the cross you beckon me Draw me gently to my knees And I am lost for words So lost in love I'm sweetly broken Holy surrender And all the cross I must confess How wondrous your redeeming love And how great is your faithfulness Cause at the cross you beckon me Draw me gently to my knees And I am Lost for words, so lost in love, I'm sweetly broken, holy surrender. At the cross you beckon me, draw me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so lost in love, I'm sweetly broken, holy surrender. Holy surrender Holy surrender Lord Holy surrender Holy surrender Holy surrender
There is love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my sin and sinfulness, rose again victorious. You are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken. You have saved me, it is written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all. Faithfulness none can deny, through the storm. And through the fire, there is truth that sets me free. Jesus Christ, who lives in me, you are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is real. Jesus, you are Lord of all. No beginning and no end. You're my hope and my defense. You came to seek and save the lost. You paid it all upon the cross. You are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Cause you are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all. You are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, 
you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of
stand with arms high and heart abandoned in our one who gave it all and I'll stand my soul Lord you surrendered all I am is yours all I am all I am is yours all I am all I am is yours so what can I say here what can I do Offer this heart, oh God, here, be you. What can I say? What could I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to upon his side What does it mean Most say that it's peace of death But it means so much more to me true that Jesus died there There's so much more to be told Cause we rose three days later Now he walks upon the streets of gold and we will soon be with Him forevermore. We can walk with Him upon that crystal shore and talk with all of the saints of old. And bow before the mighty throne of God
But Thomas, how can we believe In something that we cannot see We need to touch his wounds, Lord So that we can be set free And we will soon be with him forevermore We can walk with him upon that crystal shore and talk with all of the saints of old. And bow before the mighty throne of God forevermore. tomb that day It's where they saw an angel Someone had rolled a stone away now Now we know that Jesus lives today Yeah, yeah, yeah We will soon be with him And talk with all of the saints And bow before the mighty throne of God Forevermore just come before you this evening father god to ask lord jesus god that you would open our eyes father that you would open our ears god as we uh as we come to the scripture tonight father god it's uh it's almost like we're there with with moses or we're there with joshua and 
The angel of the Lord is telling us, uh, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. Father God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, let us recognize and realize 800 years before you came, you told us what you were going to do. And nobody would believe it. Even today, they struggle to understand that God would die for us. Lord, we ask God that as we do open the scripture, Father, as we do uh, just seek your anointing as we, as we go through each of the verses, Lord God, we pray that you be glorified in this place tonight as we seek to honor you. In everything we do, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, it's time. If you got your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. As uh, we take a look at, to me, wow, certainly one of the highlights of Scripture. You know, sometimes we forget when we're going through the, the prophets. We forget that uh, how far ahead they're writing these things. You and I, we read Isaiah 53, and it feels like we're there. It feels like we're reading the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's a crucifixion of, of what Jesus is going through, what's happening to him. But we sometimes get removed from the reality that it's 800 years prior. God said, as we went through Isaiah, he said, I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning so that you will know that I am the Lord. He laid out for his people, as we've studied through the Old Testament, the picture of the sacrifice which led to the truth that someone had to die and that person who died had to be innocent. So it, was, it pretty much marked out all us people because we're born in sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, at the fall of man, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelicum, the first mention of the gospel in the scripture, the first mention of prophecy. And it was interesting. I was talking to Danielle Richardson and she's doing some research. And, and I remember going through school, uh, doing similar research where a lot of people in, when you do a, a, for example, a study on ancient religions, you'll discover that the concept of a virgin birth, giving birth to a child that was deity was predates Isaiah by 200 years. And a lot of times when people look at that, they forget that in Genesis chapter 3, God told Satan and Adam and Eve what was about to take place. Genesis chapter 3, remember he said, I will put enmity between the woman's seed and your seed. Do you remember? So that's the first mention of the virgin birth where the woman doesn't have seed to give birth to child. But God said, I'm going to put it between a woman's seed. This 
person who will be born, the Messiah he comes to be called, will not be born of man. He will be born of woman. I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed, and he will crush your head. That's a death blow. And you will bruise his heel. That's not. What we discover is at the cross, Jesus Christ dealt the death blow to Satan. The battle's over. You've heard me say it before. We fight from victory, not toward victory. Victory is assured. It's done. It's over. It's won. He has crushed Satan's head, but he rose again. His heel, in essence, is only bruised. The beginning of Genesis in chapter 3, the Proto-Evangelicum, the first prophecy concerning the Messiah. Now, what took place right after that? You remember Adam and Eve are standing there, and, and they had tried their best to clothe themselves. That's an incredibly graphic picture of you and I trying to make ourselves righteous by our own works. And I'm sure they were uncomfortable. And God said, no, let me show you how this is going to work. And the first being on the planet earth ever to die, died right then. When God provided for them skins of an animal. Now scripture doesn't tell us where it was that Adam and Eve learned about the sacrificial system. But by their firstborn, Cain and Abel, we see them bringing their offerings to the Lord. So who showed them? Well, most commentators point to the fact that when God clothed Adam and Eve, that he showed them the sacrifice. He provided the skins for the people by the sacrifice of the lamb and clothed Adam and Eve. And they began to pass down the oral traditions from Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his, his brother Abel. The godly line we see passing through Seth. And we see Seth carrying on that same thing to to Noah. We see Noah carrying on that same thing post-flood. We come to a place called the Tower of Babel. Right after the flood account in the book of Genesis. And we read that man was led by a character named Nimrod. Whose name means rebellion. Who was a mighty warrior before the Lord. And the, the understandings you take apart of the Hebrew is that he was in utter outright rebellion against God. He was a warrior against the Lord, not for the Lord. He, he was doing his own thing. And you remember he was bringing all men unto himself. He was building a tower into the heavens. And they began to tell a story about Semiramis and Tammuz. Semiramis was, was a woman, and she was the wife of Nimrod. But Nimrod was looked at as deity, as a god, by the people. And so as, as he was in this place, Semiramis discovers that she's pregnant after Nimrod's gone. And she says, well, it's an immaculate conception. The, the god that Nimrod became, he has impregnated me, and her child was named Tammuz. By the way, the world celebrated his birth for a long time. You know the date? December 25th. Tammuz was born. The child born of a woman's seed taught or, or distorted, if you will, in Babylon. 
And that would go on. He would be slain and he would rise again. Later on, he was slain on a hunting accident and, and rose again. And when he rose again, they would, they would celebrate that as the, the changing of the seasons. A lot of the same things we see in mythology all around the world, don't we? I mean, you see that same story. The woman and the child in almost every nation under the sun. And the professors look at that and they say, well, that's just evidence that religion is made up by man so that man can have whatever crutch he needs to have faith and and believe in something. Really? But let's say you and I were going to counterfeit we're not going to pass off too many three dollar bills are we what do we counterfeit the true right the true satan knew at genesis chapter 3 god's plan at the tower of babel he had already instituted in the heart of nimrod rebellion and when god confused the languages at the tower of babel where did that religion The Babylonian mystery religion, where did it go? Everywhere that the people went. God confused their language and they took that same distorted concept all around the world. Isis and Horus in Egypt. Cupid and Venus uh, for the Romans. Over and over and over again, across the globe, we can see that same story. What is it? It's a distortion of the truth. But you know what all them stories don't have? What they don't have is that son being born to die for the sins of the people. That son's born and he kind of does his own thing and lives his own life, you know, because that's the way, right? The the only commandment in, in the satanic Bible is do whatever you want. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that's what we see coming from the heart of Satan. And when he makes a counterfeit, that's what you're going to see in the heart. You're not going to see some crazy notion that God becomes man and then dies so that he can save man. But that's the truth. And as we look in Isaiah chapter 53, we see one of the many places that the story is told, that the story is laid out for us. And it begins... With this phrase, who has believed our report? In essence, Isaiah is saying, who believes this? Who would believe it? Well, nobody will believe it. Nobody's going to believe what's going on. And then he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, it's easy for us sometimes, and we really got to guard ourselves in this, when we read the scriptures, to just go quickly over some of the verses and get on to the ones that we really very clearly understand. But you do not want to miss this. Because in Isaiah chapter 51, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 19, they make a call for the Lord. Let's try that again. It's hard to read my own writing. He calls to awake. I'm sorry, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. What are they looking for? They're looking for God's ultimate deliverance. And where do they see that ultimate deliverance? In the arm of the Lord. And as we read through chapter 51, we, we see that phrase repeated, the arm of the Lord, over and over again. We see it in 52.6. 
In chapter 52, 6, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore they shall know that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Again in verse 8, Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. Their voices will sing together, for they will see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Speaking of the arm of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. I am the arm. You're going to see me face to face. Eye to eye we'll see one another. And then again in, in, in chapter 52, verse 10, it says, Now the Lord has made bare his holy arm. What does Philippians 2, 5 through 8 say? Let the mind of Christ be in you, who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but the great kenosis emptied himself. Emptied himself of his royalty, of his royal robes. He didn't empty himself of his deity, but he set aside his power and relied totally and completely on the Father and the Holy Spirit for everything, every act Jesus accomplished on earth. What did it say here in chapter 52? The Lord has made bare his holy arm. It's that same concept as stripping off the robe. It also speaks of get ready, here it comes, you know, rolling up his sleeves, going to work. Going to work, we see this concept of the arm. And then he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he's going to tell us who the arm of the Lord is. That's the point. That's the purpose. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Who's the he? The arm of the Lord. Who's the arm of the Lord? God Almighty, I am He. You will see me eye to eye. I will roll up my sleeve. I will take off, strip off that royal robe. It's, it's Jesus Christ. It's easy for you and I to see it, but imagine 800 years before Jesus was born grasping the concept. But, but today, we can see it clearly. You know what will really just frustrate the snot out of you? Go to Israel and start reading this scripture to them and watch how they myrtilate it they just tweak it oh my goodness they i don't know why they don't like just how it says but anyways we'll get back to that but he shall grow up now that term grow up means that he will be human he's gonna be human not god just miraculously appearing but he's gonna grow he's gonna be born a a child that can't take care of himself and be placed in the hands of a mother and father. And have you ever thought about how stressful that was for Mary and Joseph? That, that stressed me out pretty bad. You know, you are in charge of watching over the Son of God. How was it when he was 12 years old? And they get a couple days out of Jerusalem and they look around and say, Where's Jesus? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. This isn't funny. If God finds out we lost his son. Man. But, but sometimes we, we miss out on that concept that, hey, that, that this is, this baby, this infant was the son of God. He will grow up before him, before God. The throne in heaven is not empty when Jesus comes. The father is still on the throne. All throughout scripture you see that. That's again the concept of a triune God, the Trinity. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heaven wasn't empty when Jesus came. Yet God was born as a child. And he grew up as a human being in a human family as a tender plant. Now that is an interesting phrase. That word tender is mentioned one other place in Scripture. Amazingly enough, it is mentioned in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, you may know, is a scripture where God calls Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, his only son. That phrase only in Genesis 22 too, is the exact same word as that tender plant. The only Son of God. And it's interesting that the place where it would occur in Scripture is a picture of what Jesus was born to do. Genesis 22. Why why did God call Abraham to do that? To take his son, to pretend to sacrifice his son, to stop him and provide a lamb for him. And Abraham changed the name of that mountain, Mount Moriah. And he called it Yahweh Yideh. God will provide himself the lamb. That doesn't mean God's going to make a lamb come out of the bush, by the way. That means God will be the lamb. That whole thing is a prophetic picture of what we read about now, 800 years before Christ's birth, in Isaiah. As he speaks of this tender plant, the only Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Same concept. And as a root out of dry ground. Now he wants us to know that the period in which Jesus came was a very dry, dusty period. The, the, the nation of Israel was at a low. This is not at a, a spiritual high. But they were at a point where they were looking for deliverance. Just as they were in Egypt looking for Moses. But you remember the first time Moses came, did they receive him? No, they rejected him. The first time Joseph came, did they receive him? No, they rejected him. What is that? It's a picture of what the nation does. When Jesus came the first time, they rejected him. But the second time, they'll receive him. The same way we see with Moses and Joseph and Jesus. He comes as a root out of dry ground. Now he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Well, what they're saying is he was not yoked. He was not all muscle bound. I mean, sometimes we like to picture Jesus somehow sticking out from the crowd. You know, when they did the movie, Jesus of Nazareth, they gave him bright blue eyes. So he'd stick out from everybody else. But the Bible says there's no form or comeliness. No beauty that we would desire him. The idea is that if you were in a crowd with Jesus, he did not stick out at all. Zero. Zero. Most people, when they were healed, had a hard time finding Jesus. Where is he? What what did he look like? Uh, It just didn't stick out. He didn't stick out to them. Why? Because God doesn't want us to walk by sight. But how? By faith. By faith. What's that mean? Now, he doesn't want us focused 
on the temporal, he wants us focused on the eternal. The eternal being that which lasts. What was important? What Jesus said. The word. Speaking forth the word of God. <clears throat> Again, it's interesting that word, for there is no beauty that we would behold him is used in another place in regard to Rachel. That when Jacob looked at Rachel, he couldn't help himself. He loved her intently based on what he saw. But it says there was none of that in Jesus. None of it. I got a, a picture in my office. I will always love it. It's a picture of Jesus, but no face. He, he's sitting down, his head's down. He's, he's in the wilderness. I think it's called in the wilderness. And you can see the clouds over top of him form like a bat, like he's in the time of temptation against Satan or whatever. But there's this, this, this lack of... Uh, of of the face of of being able everywhere you see jesus painted he looks like the people who painted him <laughs> doesn't he here in the states he's got long blonde or blue hair or blue hair <laughs> blonde or brown hair and blue eyes and doesn't look very jewish didn't have a big old nose or none of that stuff and when you see him in other places he looks like them but the reality is, there was nothing special about him. He fit in with everybody else in, the, in Palestine at that time. Fit in with everybody else. Nobody, nothing special in regard to his appearance. In verse 3, it says, And he is despised and rejected by men. Now, this concept is, <clears throat> he's utterly dismissed. He's, he's not considered at all. And the idea of rejected carries the concept of being mocked. And that's what we see on the cross, right? In fact, Psalm 22, you want to be blown away, gives you the exact same phrase as people said to Jesus while he was on the cross. Again, six or 800 years before crucifixion was invented. They say what the people would shout to Jesus. As they looked at him and said, well, he trusted in God. Let God save him. Come down off that cross. Same kind of a concept being shared for us in, in Psalm 22. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He's a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. The idea is not that he is ho-hum, sad, always bummed. The idea carries that he is a man of sorrow because that's what he strips off of others and puts upon himself. He's a man of sorrows and grief because that's what he came to take. That's what sin brings, right? Sorrow and grief. And he's going to build on those same two words that are coming up in the next verse. But it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him we we didn't care we didn't when the bible talks about something special a special connection between two people it's very similar to what the bible says about moses and god said of that special connection he had with moses that he spoke to moses how face to face but the scripture says we hid our faces from him we we don't want to have that special relationship with him there's nothing in there that people said, ah, I want that. I want that special relationship. We, people, hid their faces from him. They didn't make that type of a connection. 
uh, through him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That word esteem means they gave him little or no value. He's hated, and he was given no value. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. The idea that this verse brings about is that Jesus, being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, understanding the price that sin brought, he came to take those sorrows and grief from others and bear them upon himself. He came to, uh, to bear, to, he has borne our griefs, our, everyone. He has come to carry our sorrows. You ever been weighed down by your sorrows in life? That means you're carrying something you were never intended to have. Jesus Christ came to bear that. He came to carry that, to carry those sorrows. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The people who saw the crucifixion, this servant of God, the arm of the Lord. Don't forget who we're talking about. God of very God, I am he. Remember he said in chapter 52, you'll see me eye to eye. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That he was getting what he deserved. That's how people looked at him. Because that's how man judges, right? Man judges by, you know, what he sees, what he thinks he knows. How does God judge? By the heart. Does God ever get fooled? Did we pull the wool over God's eyes? No. We do not have the ability to understand good from evil. We think we know. We think we know what's right. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way leads to death. How do we know we're on the right path? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. He'll guide us. So we, they, us, we look at Jesus and think, oh, he's just getting what he deserved. He's getting crucified. He's being beaten. He's being smitten. God must hate him because bad things only happen to who? Bad people, right? Have we learned that in life? Now, what the Bible says, the rain falls on the evil and the just. So, but that's the view that people watching the crucifixion took. You see, we have the benefit of having the word of God complete and having studied it and realized, wow, this is Jesus on the pages of Isaiah 53. It's talking about the crucifixion. How could they not see it? But for them... You're walking into town, you see a guy beaten, smitten, and you, you think the only way that can happen to somebody is he did something bad, right? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This was the attitude of those who watched. But he was wounded for what? Our transgression. He's going to lay out for us three things that the servant... That the servant accomplishes when he finishes his work. He's first going to remove or take care of our sinful state. Then he's going to deal with um, our alienation from God. That we're separated from God. And then he's going to deal with the broken priesthood. He's going to deal with these three things right here in these verses. So first, he's wounded for our transgressions. 
Transgression is a sin that you commit on purpose. That's not a oops, I sinned. That's a transgression. We're not capable of, of being forgiven apart from Jesus Christ. He was, he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquity is sin. He's bruised for our iniquity. He was wounded for our transgression. By the way, the word wounded means pierced. That's the kind of wound it's talking about. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The chastisement for our peace, that's taking care of our alienation from God. Because we are at enmity with God, we're at war with God, we can have no peace with God. But now, through Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. We experience the peace of God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we are. the chastisement for our peace. What needed to happen so we could have peace with God. So the gap between us and the Father could be breached. It was breached by the Son. That chastisement was upon him. That chastisement for our peace was upon him. And finally, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes. From the beatings that Jesus Christ bore. And I've shared with you before. 39 lashes was not a Roman custom. Roman custom was to beat until you confessed. You got beat until you confessed or the guy beating you couldn't hit you anymore. It's one of the things I liked about the movie The The Passion of the Christ when they're beating Jesus with rods, which, uh, by the way, Paul would have been beaten with those, I think, three times or five times. What would you say? Three times? Three times beaten with rods. So the, the same thing, beat and expected to confess. And so they beat him until they couldn't swing anymore. And in that movie, after Jesus is beat with rods, you remember what he does? He stands back up. And all the other soldiers start laughing at the guys who were beating him. Oh, what? You couldn't even beat this guy down? You couldn't get him to stay on the ground? They start mocking him. That's when they went to the scourge. That's when they filleted his back open and changed him from looking human to looking as something other. And so that's what he's laying out. By that beating, we are healed, spiritually and physically. Spiritually and physically, we receive healing through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Apart from that, there is no healing. There is no way for, for the gap to be, to be bridged between us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. But he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Remember I told you, Romans, beat until you confessed. But the Bible said, Jesus didn't open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth to to, uh, defend himself verbally, and he offered no physical resistance. He was led. He was led as the lamb to the slaughter. 
Just like bringing the lamb of the sacrifice, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus in John chapter 1? Behold the lamb of God. Why did he say that? Who takes away the sin of the world. What does that speak of? What did the lamb do to take away sin? It died. And here we see Jesus Christ. Again, the arm of the Lord. I am he. You will see me face to face. Stripping off his arm. Who To whom has the Lord revealed his arm? Here we see in Isaiah 53. Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. He goes on to say now. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generations? He was taken out of prison. Was he given a, a, a proper uh, trial? No. They broke every law written in regard to trials at the trial of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin were not allowed to meet at night. When did they bring Jesus in? At night. Why did they do it at night? Because they could do it with a small group rather than have the entire Sanhedrin there. So they could issue judgment based on the guys they could get to come at night. Your faithful true dyed-in-the-wool guy in the Sanhedrin, probably Joseph of, of Arimathea maybe being one of them, Nicodemus being one, they probably weren't there at all. They probably didn't get the, the, they didn't drop that note by them that the trial was occurring at night. He was taken from judgment. He was taken from prison. They didn't do this on the up and up. That's what they're laying out for us. Who will declare his generations? For he is cut off from the land of the living. That word, cut off. He was put to death for a capital crime. Daniel uses the same phraseology in Daniel chapter 9. And the Messiah will be cut off. But not for his own sin. But for the sins of the people. What's he say here? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. That word, transgressions and people, by the way, are, are both in the Hebrew plural. That means it's not for his transgressions. That would have been singular, one person. But the transgressions, plural, for the people, plural. He died for their sins, not for his own. For the transgressions of the people... He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. Now that word grave, it just means the abode of the dead. Where he died. Where he died was with the wicked. By the way, the wicked is plural. Who did Jesus die with? Two thieves, one on each side, right? They made his death with the wicked. But with the rich... At his death. That word speaks of his burial. He was buried in a rich man's tomb and he was killed between two thieves. He died with the wicked, at, uh, he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. He was buried. <clears throat> because, and by the way, it says, uh, but with the rich at his death. That word death, again, is plural. It, it is referring back to the wicked. When they all died, he went with the rich man. 
That's what the scriptures are indicating. When the two thieves and Jesus died, he was laid with the rich. The wicked, typically a crucified person, would be buried still attached to the cross. Often left out until the crows picked them clean. But in this case, it was Passover. So they wanted to take the bodies down. They wanted to put the bodies away. <clears throat> so, and it goes, he goes on to say, Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word for being pleased <clears throat> means an exuberance. God was stoked to, to bruise him. The, the idea in the scripture is that God is stoked because he realizes what is accomplished through the suffering. What is being done by the only one who is capable of doing it. So God is happy for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? For the joy set before him. So he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, Jesus Christ became the sin offering. He fulfilled what we studied in the book of Leviticus. He becomes that guilt offering, the offering for sin. He, he fulfills it. But he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Now, how does he do that if he's dead? How's he going to see his seed? How's he going to prolong his days? Because he doesn't stay dead. Because he will rise again. Three days, and we see the resurrection. He will see his seed. His seed, notice that's singular. What By Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. What's that seed? Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ finishes the work, he will see his seed those who will by faith come to know jesus christ he shall prolong his days the messiah will rise again and the pleasure of the lord will prosper in his hand and he jesus shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied he's going to look at it and say it is finished it's done completed it is it has been accomplished by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many how come not all cuz everybody won't receive you know still today we see the same thing in in our court system if a governor was to issue a pardon and the governor said your pardon you know what you have to do in order to be pardoned, you have to receive the pardon and sign it. There was a guy during the Civil War that, uh, you know, when the, when the battle between the states occurred, that didn't believe Abraham Lincoln had any power. And he was on death row, and Abraham Lincoln, he's hoping to, to appease some of the issues that are going on. And so they're trying to um, give him a pardon and let's move forward. But he said, I don't acknowledge you as ruler over me. You're not my president. I won't sign it. So he was hung. Because he wouldn't sign it. 
It's exactly what occurs today when Jesus Christ has offered for you and I a pardon from our sins who became our substitutionary uh, lamb who died for us and then he holds out that pardon but we have to receive it. We have to receive that pardon. The many are all those who will come to salvation through the work that he has done. For he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. God says I will divide him a portion with the great. What is it that the Lord said? That there is no name under heaven that can be named that is greater than the name Yeshua, Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is the greatest. But he will divide the spoil with the strong. Who's the strong? All those who have placed their faith in him. They're his. How are they strong? We are strong in him. For we are heirs and joint heirs together with Christ. Right? That's what Paul declares for us in Romans. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death. It's a picture of a drink offering. Taking your life and pouring it out. Who took his life? Nobody. He gave it. He poured out his soul to death. On the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, what? I commit my spirit. Nobody took it. He gave it. He gave it. What did he tell Peter when Peter, Peter chopped off Malchus's ear? He said, Peter, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who I am? I could have called 10,000 angels. Does it, do you have some concept of the damage 10,000 angels can do? In case you're curious, one angel killed 185,000 by itself. The Bible doesn't say he was sweating when he did it. It just said one angel killed 185,000. What's 10,000 capable of? I don't think Rome would have been able to put Jesus on the cross if God had tapped Michael on the shoulder and said, go get him. It wouldn't have happened. <clears throat> it wouldn't have happened. But he poured out his life. And he was numbered... With the transgressors. What did they consider Jesus? Again, he was killed with the wicked. Two thieves at his side. Numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. There he is fulfilling that priestly role. What is it that we see Jesus Christ doing for us today? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has accomplished his goal, and the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. You know that word intercession simply means to stand in the gap. He stands in the gap for us. He bridges the gap that separates us from God. He fulfills the high priestly ministry. Well, how can he fulfill the high priestly ministry? He's not, he's not of the tribe of Levi. What does Hebrews tell us? The book of Hebrews says, He's a high priest forever according to the line of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. He was also the king of Salem, which means peace. 
who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Melchizedek, who had neither father or mother, no beginning of days or end of days, but is made like unto the Son of God forever. Melchizedek, a priest that never dies. Jesus fulfills that picture. He died, rose again, and he will never die again. He is the perfect high priest. He'll never not be able to fulfill the role that he's come to do. 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah laid that out. That is, again, one of the more incredible areas of prophecy we find in the scripture. I put it right up there with Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel told us the day Jesus would come into the city of Jerusalem and be proclaimed as Messiah. April 6, 32 AD, the day Jesus came into Jerusalem and was proclaimed as their Messiah. We call it Palm Sunday. I put it right up there with Isaiah calling Cyrus by name 200 years before Cyrus was born. I put it right up there throughout the pages of Jeremiah and Ezekiel who give us incredible prophecies concerning the the end of the nation of Israel and its rebirth. The Bible, one-third prophecy. Unlike every other religion out there, guys, unlike every other one, never been wrong. It's the only one that can withstand the judgment within its own pages of Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet speaks a thing and it doesn't take place, he, she is false. Period. Don't listen to them. There are whole religious organizations still following false prophets who have prophesied things that did not come true. The Bible says don't follow them at all. But the Bible has never not had a prophecy literally fulfilled. There are some we still await fulfillment. But the Bible, way more prophecies than any other religious system. Why? Because it's true, not counterfeit. The counterfeit, they just take a little bit and they they mess it all up. But the counterfeit is all about man being able to do what he wants, right? Not submit himself to hide our faces from God. I don't want to hide my face from God. I want to look at him. I want that relationship. I want the prophet that Moses said will come like me. The prophet like Moses, who God spoke to face to face. Who was that prophet? Jesus Christ. He spoke to the Father face to face, didn't he? Just like him. In fact, even better him. The real deliverer who was able to set the world free. Amen? We're going to go ahead and, and close in, uh, in prayer. And we have uh, time to, to commit to prayer tonight. I invite you, as a, if the Lord places something on the heart that you'd like to pray about, that, that you would uh, just feel free to do that as we pray together. Uh, when we're done, we'll stop. If you've got to bail, it's all good. God bless you guys. Have, a, have a, a great time. If you do share in prayer with us, just ask that you try to keep it brief so everyone who would like to, Uh, has an opportunity to do it if the lord lays a scripture on your heart if the lord puts something on your on your heart that you want to share share um you know as we uh, just take this time to turn our faces toward the lord and allow him to minister his life to us let's pray 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you. And we thank you for the, the truth of your word, God, and the incredible prophecy of Isaiah 53. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you would take this time as we seek your face in this place, God, as we desire to know you, to come to understand and see, Father, your plan for our life, your direction, the things that you're doing. Lord God, we ask that you would move among us in a mighty way. And as we're in this place, Lord, we do lift up to you Stacy, who uh, either has had or is, is very soon having uh, surgery in Oregon. We lift up Jeannie Reynolds, who's undergoing chemotherapy and started last week. We lift up Rick Easterday, who's, who's having surgery on his shoulder. And there's probably others that I, that I don't know about, Father, that God, we just ask that you be with these people and that you that you would be their physician and that they would look to you for it is by your stripes we are healed. Lord, we lay them in your hands for there's no better place for them to be. We lay our fellowship before you, God, and we pray, Lord, that, that our fellowship would be what you're calling us to be, not try to be what someone else is, that we would find our place in your plan for for Buell and the surrounding areas as we just desire to do what you've placed us here for. Father God, we ultimately want to experience everything that you have for us. So God, give us eyes to see your directing. Give us ears to hear your leading. And give us the courage we need to stand when you call us to stand. 